Welcome to the Soulless Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Our passion as a church community is to see Jesus at the center of all things. For more sermon content and information, check out soullesschurch.com. There, Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, while you're turning there, I'll invite Maddie Chamberlain is going to come on up to lead us in our scripture reading. So once you get there, Ephesians 4, if you would stand with Maddie and I this morning as we get into the reading of God's word. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean? but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, but by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you this morning. Together we come to you, entering your gates with thanksgiving. For the life-saving gift of your word, a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We, we come into this place this morning, God, equally in need of your presence, your ministry, your voice, your touch, you, God. It's the equalizer of this whole room. We all need you. And so, God, we, we come to you with with that humble posture this morning, recognizing that life is hard and um, we can't do this alone. And so we, we come to you, Jesus, and just we, we recognize who you are as present, as faithful, and as working in our lives. And we just want to make space in our hearts and minds and lives for you to work, Lord. Um, we don't want to think about how long it's been since we've allowed you to do that. We just thank you that this morning there's new mercy. So we just come to you and we just say, Jesus, here we are. We see that you're here with us. We ask God that you would speak to us, that you would use your word to form us and shape us into who you've called us to be. God, speak to us in this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Okie dokie. Well, Maddie, first of all, well done. Let's give it up for Maddie. That was phenomenal. Like, 
reading is hard enough, like just for me, I don't know about you. Public reading is even harder. And then you just add to it when it's a passage like this that has a lot of commas and it's Paul getting his Dr. Seuss on. You know, it's a little hard to read. Okay. Um, Hey, well, uh, as you guys just saw, we're in Ephesians chapter four. We are working our way as a church community through this incredible book of the Bible. It's a book that Charles Spurgeon called the crown of Paulinism, meaning it's, it's one of the mountain peaks of the scriptures, this incredible uh, letter that Paul the Apostle wrote with a pastor's heart to a church that he was involved with their planting and he's now involved in their care. He's checking in on them uh, over 10 years after he had first been there um, in Ephesus with kind of the, the early stages of their ministry. And it's an incredible book that kind of stands out from the other letters that Paul writes to churches because most of it is, is just filled with great encouragement, which is not always the tone of Paul's letters. So it's kind of a breath of fresh air. Uh, and most of the time, because, you know, like any other church, like we need correction, we need help. And so a lot of Paul's letters, like the church uh, at Corinth, it's a letter of exhortation and rebuke and realignment. But the book of Ephesians is written to a church that Paul calls the faithful ones. This is a community of people that have really sought to be faithful in their positions and and in their lives after Jesus. And, And basically, Paul is just like encouraging them to double down on that, to be and to continue to be faithful ones in Christ. And if there's one big idea of this, we've been talking about this, Paul's been encouraging them to remain faithful, and here's the key preposition, to remain faithful in Christ. In Christ, their position in him. There's no greater place to be in life, listen, than in Christ. If today you're in, I'm not sure what you're going through, what you're in, what's what's going on in your life, I have good news for you. If you are in Christ, you are right where you need to be. And Paul's like, hey, we need to root ourselves in that. The book of Ephesians is all about rooting deeper down in our positions through what Christ has done in making us his own and living from that place. And so with every passage that we're looking at, we're looking at a different aspect of life in Christ. And if there is a summary for this section that Maddie just read over us in Ephesians 4, 4 through 16, this would be the title. So if you'd like to take notes, you can jot this down. This is the big idea of this passage. In Ephesians 4, 4 through 16, Paul describes what it looks like to be gifted, gifted in Christ, gifted in Christ. Now, this theme, gifted in Christ, the the theme of this passage, you could say is really one of the main themes of the whole Bible. Uh, From page one, we get a vision of a God who's creating the world from from a place and a posture of goodness. He has a good heart and his intent for creation is goodness and blessing. So much so that all of creation is the extension of, of this good gift towards man. He's a good gift giver. That's the picture that we get from the very beginning. And we see this as a theme throughout all of the Bible. The way that the scriptures portray God to us is not as one who is stingy and reserved and and almost like waiting for us to earn what he has, but he's pictured as someone, as a father rather, even who has his hand stretched toward humanity. Even from the beginning in Genesis 1, he creates them both male and female. And the Bible says, and he blessed them. His hands extended out towards mankind. His default heart posture towards you, towards me, towards humanity is that of goodness. 
So much so that James chapter 1, verse 17 gives us some theology. It says this, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And it comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow. There's no dark side to God. He is all light and him is no darkness at all. This speaks to his character. You can trust him. There's no ill motive in his heart towards you. And when you look around at your life, we have reason to thank him, don't we? Because every good thing in our life, listen, it comes from him. Even the rain, amen, all right? You see, as followers of Jesus, let me just remind you, we we don't have the issue. We're we're not confused about where to direct our gratitude towards, amen? You know, we live in a culture where like gratitude in and of itself is a sentiment, it's encouraged, it's a virtue, it's a value, but it's not like a specific gratitude towards anyone. It's just kind of like gratitude in general. Like, I'm just grateful. Well, to who? I'm just grateful. Who are you thankful to? Who who built your life? Who's the source of your life? And it kind of ends up when you remove God, it's like, I'm grateful, you know, to the universe for like working these things out. That's usually what you hear. But scripture gives us a clear understanding of who we should be thankful for. Anything good in our lives is the extension of God's goodness. When we look at our lives, let's remember that we should be grateful people, not just generally, but specifically, because God is the source of everything in our life. He's a good, listen, he's a good gift giver. Maybe just take a moment, think about your life, and maybe your focuses have been on less of the blessings and more on the curses. Do you know what I'm talking about? And maybe you just need to take a second and think about all the good gifts that God has given you. As, as the expression goes, count your blessings, Right? You know, Jesus also cares for us to have this view of God. I love Matthew 7. Jesus is talking about relationship with God as Father when we pray to him, when we talk to him. And he says, for everyone who's, who asks, who comes to God with a, with a, a requesting posture, he, he's going to receive. And whoever seeks, finds. It's just saying, like, with God, he's not going to trick you. It's not a, he's not, like, up to no good when you come to him. His intention is to bless you and reward you when you come and you ask for the things that he wants for you. If you seek him, you'll find. If you knock, the door will be open. And then Jesus gives this great illustration. He goes, what man among you who if his son asks for bread, dad, can I get a sub from Las Patas, is going to give him, sure, son, here's a rock, okay? You know, crush your teeth on that. Who's going to do that? Or if he asks for a fish, is going to give him a serpent, He's speaking to even the worst dads among us, <laughs> all right, which is like most of us because we're struggling through life here, all right, but he's like, you have a good intent towards your kids. Here's the key phrase, if you being evil, if you're fallen and broken, know how to reward your kids and take care of them and provide for them, how much more, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good gifts, give good things to those who ask him? This is God. As A.W. Tozer said, what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Do I, when I think about God, is what comes to my mind this picture of a father who wants to give more of himself than I ever would imagine. That's, that's a gift giver. He's not restraining. He's not reserved. He's not stingy. He is generous. And there's much evidence in our lives of that, isn't there? We can thank him for that. In fact, Paul, I mean, if you look at Ephesians through this lens, like this is one of Paul's main points in Ephesians. 
that we are who we are in Christ. And we have what we have in Christ because God gave us that position. This is his, his point. Remember Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, only like one of the most popular verses in the whole Bible? He says, For by grace, in chapter 2, you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the what? It is the, one more time, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. This is just how it works with God. We're not able to try to earn our way into his favor. We're not able to curry his attention and manipulate his rewards. It's just who he is. Our salvation today is simply because we received the gift of Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Aren't you you, thankful today that God has given you his son, Jesus? He's given provision for your sin. He's given provision for your separation. He's a good gift giver. This is Paul's kind of main theme in this book, that we have what we have and we are what we are, not because of what we've achieved, but because simply of what we receive, because of what God's given. Now, as you move into chapter four, the passage that we're looking at today, Paul is carrying on this theme of being gifted in Christ, that we have what we have and we are that we, what we are because of his gifts. But there's a specific focus in chapter four. If, if chapter 2 is about how God has gifted Christ to the world and to us for salvation, here's the theme of chapter 4. You can jot this down. Like This is really what summarizes Ephesians 4, verses 4 through, what was the last verse we read? 16. I'm just making sure you're paying attention. Thank you. All right. In this section, Paul's theme about God's generous heart is that Christ has gifted the church, which is his body, for ministry on the earth. That's this chapter. We, know, we, we, we see God, he, he's, he's postured towards blessing with a position of, uh, and a hand of blessing towards humanity. And specifically, we, hear, we see here that his heart towards the church is that is of, of gifting as well. Now, when we use the phrase the church, we're speaking about this idea the way the Bible talks about it. The church not as a building, not as a 501c3 nonprofit organization, not as a a cool account you follow on Instagram, but the church in Scripture is the redeemed people of God who are invisible. We don't see all of the church because it's global and historic and it's uh, all over the map. But the church comes together also locally to, to, to display to the world what Christ has done in our lives. With a local church. That's what we mean. Now, in Scripture, and I love it here in this passage, this is like one of Paul's favorite analogies for the people of God. Paul's a big analogy guy, okay? especially with the church. So even in chapter 3, we saw Paul used uh, an architectural analogy to describe the church. He talked about being grounded, like we're a building. And then later on, he used an agricultural analogy to describe the people of God. That we're like, we're, we're rooted in him. And like uh, Paul says, we're like this field that God's planted and we're growing. Here in chapter four, we have like Paul's go-to analogy. He says that we as the church are the body of Christ. Such a phenomenal analogy. It's an anatomical analogy. That we're the body of Christ. He, he actually echoes this, not just in chapter four, but it's, in chapter 1, where Paul says it most explicitly, where it says that God has put all things under his Christ's feet and gave Jesus to be head over all things to the church. Who is the church? 
which is what? His body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, what Paul is telling us here, and he's echoing it in chapter 4, is something really significant about the church. We see this? This is a big deal. The church is not just some other additional institution, another group of people in society. Here, what Paul is saying is that the church is not just metaphorically the body of Jesus, but to think that it's through the church that Christ fills the world. Do you see this idea? The, the, the concept is like, we know that Christ has physically ascended to the right hand of the Father. Paul's going to talk about that. But the idea of us being his body is, is that we as the church, it's like we're the physical presence of Jesus on the earth when we live as his body. Is that, are you following with me? Like literally, not just like a body of people, like his body, his hands, his toes. We're, you know, the idea is like we are him here. What a crazy thought. That, that Jesus, listen, intended, when he ascended to the right hand of God, Jesus never intended that his life and his ministry would stop, but that it would continue through his people. Amen? Amen? Amen. That we would be the extension and the continuation of him on the earth. This is church history, when, when God's people get it best, right? I love that even the book of Acts, which is the description of the early church, it's described as all that Jesus continued to do through his people. So that, that's the vision that Paul is giving us. And here's the big question we would ask. Like, if that's who we are, if Solus Church, our, our community, if we are the body of Jesus, that we are the physical representation of, we're called to be that here in South Florida, how is, here's a question, how is that possible. <laughs> All right. How is that act how can that actually be true? The answer is through his gifting. Through him. Through the gifts that he gives. That again is the theme of this passage that Christ has gifted us to be this. It's not something we try to be. Like, "All right guys, let's go out and be the best Jesus we can be." All right. Let's be a Jesus body. Go for it. Do the Jesus stuff, okay? No, no, that's, that was never Christ's vision for the church. His vision was that as he would pour himself out upon his people, he would gift the church with what, with what was needed to be his body. And that's what Paul is getting at. Uh, so maybe here's the question to ask. How? Like, if this is true, if we're the body of Jesus in the world, how has Christ gifted us? For ministry. And let's look at a couple ways that he's done that. First and foremost, we see in this passage, you're going to jot this down, the first way that Christ has gifted his body for ministry in the world is, well, Paul says first, Paul says that, well, first Christ has gifted each member of the body, this is really cool, with a measure of grace. How has he gifted us to be his body on the earth for, for ministry? How has he, he gifted us? Well, he's gifted each member with a measure of a certain measure of grace for ministry. These aren't my words. Look at what Paul says. He says, this is some theology. There's one body. There's one spirit. We looked at this last week. Just as you were called in one hope of your calling. There's not two lords. There's one Lord. There's one faith. There's one baptism. There's not many gods. There's one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So, you know, if you're paying any attention, the big idea that Paul's getting at is... There's one, right? Like he uses that word, I think, seven times in this passage. 
And he's speaking about the church. He's like, one body. Verse 7. Now, there's a break from that idea, but, that's an important break there, but to each one of us. You see the idea? There's one body, but to each one of us, notice this, as members of the body, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. This is phenomenal. And Paul goes on to explain this in some really cool ways. Therefore, he says, this is quoting from Psalm 68, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. The victory of the king described here is prophetically speaking of the Messiah who would overcome in battle and ascend to the right hand of God. Now, I love that Paul gives us a little parenthetical thought here. Now this, he ascended. What does it mean that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? You can't ascend unless you've descended, okay? All right. It says this in verse 10. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. Now, there's so many different ways to understand the good news of the gospel of Jesus. And this is one of the ways that Paul communicates the gospel through ascension and descension language. So if Paul's talking about what Christ has done, we actually looked at this, I think last week, where he talked about Jesus, who was in the form of God. He became a man, became a servant, obedient to the point of death. I mean, that's what Paul is speaking about. Um, Christ was at the highest position as God. We were, listen, at the lowest position as fallen humanity. This was our condition. Do you know what that low pit feels like, by the way, to be a human? Anybody ever been in that pit? You know what that's like? Just that pit of sin and death, of separation, of shame. And our salvation was never going to be that we would ascend the hill ourselves. Amen? We, we could never get ourselves out of this pit. But Christ descended. Christ left the glory of heaven's throne to get into your pit. To ascend down to your and my level. It says here to even the lower parts of the earth. We don't have time to get into the theological squabbles around this verse. Okay, some people think it refers to Abraham's bosom. You're like, what? Just let's move on, okay? Um, some people think it refers to the lower parts of the earth, Pompano Beach, Florida. Now, I'm not saying that. <laughs> some people say, like, what does this mean? Okay, the lower, I just like to, you know, mess with the Pompano people in the church. But um, some, some people say the lower parts of the earth just symbolizes the grave. Like, what? Whatever you think it to be, here's the idea. Christ came low to save us, amen? Like, listen, we, we don't get ourselves out of the low places. Here's the good news of the gospel. He is with you in the low place. He descends to that low place, even to the extent of going to the grave, descending as low as we could ever go, which is death itself. And then he ascends. He conquers death. And he resurrects from the grave and there's this great event in history where Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father. He passes through the heavens and he takes his rightful place at the right hand of the Father as king of the world. Now, as Paul is unpacking this, he's quoting from Psalm 68. This is really interesting. He's quoting from Psalm 68 and he's using, again, this messianic psalm to describe uh, that when, it's like really cool language to say that that Jesus is this conquering king, is the idea. That's what Psalm 68 means. Uh, that, that he led captivity captive. So you have a king whose people are led away captive by the enemy. 
And what this king does is he goes, he descends, he sets his people free from their bondage and captivity. He conquers the enemy, and then he makes the captors his captives. And he takes captivity captive, and then he ascends. And I love this, and he gives gifts to men. Like the picture is that of in olden times, whenever a a kingdom would conquer another, they would set their people free, any of the captives. And here's how a good king would celebrate. He would divide the spoil to his people. Like, I've won the battle, here's the plunder, here's the fruit of our victory, and you all get a piece of that. Isn't that really a really cool way to think about what the church is? Have we had some enemies in our life? Okay. Are you an enemy of anyone? You are a spiritual enemy. And do you have a conquering king? I'll ask you again, do you have a conquering king? You do. He's defeated your enemies. He led captivity captive. He made a public spectacle out of them on the cross. And as he ascends, he's poured out gifts to men. It's a great way to describe how he has gifted the church. How he has, now, I want you to notice this verse again that, that speaks about it in more detail. As his body, we are the recipients of the gifts that the king has won. It's great language. I want you to think about this, okay? So we're one body. You know this. We're members, different body parts. And it says here that if you are in Christ, I want you to understand this today, that God has measured out a certain stewardship of grace to you. Do you hear that? If you're in Christ, you're saved by grace, but you're also called by grace, and you're gifted by grace. It's all grace. We get that, right? You don't earn, like, spiritual gifts. Like, I want to, God, I really want to serve you. Maybe I can be, you know, if I read my Bible enough this year, will you equip me for that? You know, it's like, there's no way to earn your way. You could certainly grow your way into being more effective, that's for sure, but these are gifts of grace. To each one of us, I want you to notice this, God in his perfect wisdom, he saw your life and he knew exactly what needed to be measured out to you. You are not who you are uh, in, in a, on accident, certainly, and I want to say this, like, you have a measure of grace. You do. This is what the Bible says in Romans 12. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members don't have the same function, so we being many, we're one body in Christ, but we're also individually members of one another, speaking about the church, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Some of you guys are just not confident of this today. You know that the grace of Jesus has saved you, but are you confident that the grace of Jesus has empowered you for ministry? Like you have been graced with something significant for the kingdom. Some of us, we've been graced with with prophecy, so, so let us use that. Let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Ministry, serving, let us use that in ministering. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So, so Paul is even in this passage emphasizing that the body differs with different measures of grace that are for the whole, that is for the, the ministry of Christ in the world. And, um, you know, I'm really thankful for lists like this. Like, lists help me. I'm a big list guy, big list guy up here. All right. My wife will tell you this. All right, went to, I had, I had, here's my job yesterday. I had to get three subs or two days ago. One of them was my own, okay? And she's like, here's the sub for me. Here's the sub for the kids. I'm like, you gotta text me that. You gotta text me the sub. You know what the kids got? 
ham and cheese plain. That's all they had. But I, I was like, can you text me that? She's like, you want me to text you ham and cheese plain? I'm like, yeah, like, well, you want anything on it? No, it's plain, okay? Anyway, I need a list, okay? I need a list for, like, everything. Um, I think these lists are helpful because you can see yourself in the body, maybe even going through this list. I, and I think, I, I think that there's, there, and by the way, there's a lot of passages in Scripture that have these lists of different body parts and different functions. And I, I think... Um, Though those lists are helpful, what we've done today is we've kind of like systematized the body. And there's like spiritual gifts tests and stuff that can be really helpful. Those, those do have a, a purpose and a point. But I don't think like Paul's list here, there's so much theology around like these are these gifts and these are those gifts. And like which of the nine do you have? It's just, it can become really like, I don't know, um, systematic to, to where like I don't think Paul is intending to go pick one of these nine. Okay, because there's like so many different gifts list, lists that if you overlap them, there's so many different kinds of lists. I do think we want to have a, an understanding of who we are. But I, like one of my favorite things that I've seen, like especially young guys do, is be like, I don't, you know, I feel like God's called me. I have the gift of teaching. So this is a great church plan and all. And I know there's a lot of help that's needed to set up and tear down, but I don't really have the gift of service. Where can I teach? It's like, well, we could teach you to serve. Okay, how about that? All right. Um, do you get the idea? It's like we could sort of cop out. And so I don't think the point is like, you know, pick one out. Sometimes you have multiple like strengths and such. So I don't want you to get too bogged down with the listy stuff. But I think Paul is just describing what's true. He's like, here's the body. There's like this and there's that and there's this and there's that. Here's the question that I want you to ask yourself because to each one of us, grace is given. As you think about your life and you think about the fact that you're the body of Christ, you're a member in the body, you're called to ministry, I want you to ask yourself this question. Two questions. Number one, where is there a grace in your life? Where is there evidences and abilities and skills and passions? Maybe in wisdom and insight. Like where is there grace in your life? The first question there, another way I'd ask this is like, remember that the gifts are gifts of grace. So if it's a gift, it's not, it shouldn't feel like a work. Does that make sense? It shouldn't feel like you're, it should be done. Here's a way to think about it. It should be done gracefully. So like, what's the thing that you're graced to do that's work for everybody else? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, what? That's, that takes, oh, you like that? You like being like that? You like thinking, you know? Like, see, it's how God's graced you. He's graced you. There's a grace he's given you. And don't make it so simple, but start to think about that. Some of us are growing into some of this grace. Some of us have grace that's just been dormant in our lives. Because we've compared our grace with their grace. and You have grace on your life. Start to think about how has God graced me with passions, with perspectives, with skills, with abilities. There's an ease to it. Here's another way to think about like how God's graced you. Like, um, where do you get great joy? Serving him. Like, there's areas of ministry that God's called me to serve him as a church planner that are, it's more responsibility than delight. Do you know what I'm saying? Okay. And everyone's like, we, we, need, this. we need someone with the grace to come alongside Andrew and take this on. Okay. So, so that's the idea. And here's another question. Like, how are others graced through you? That's how you know. How are others graced through you? This is how you start to get an understanding of how God's called you to serve him. How has he graced you? And like, how are others blessed through you? Because the whole point of your gifts, check us out, 
is, is other people, right? Your gift isn't even for you. So when you use your gift, how are others graced as well? How does it bring grace to those around you? You know, I could say, like, on the flip side of that for me, there's areas of ministry that I'm like, people, people aren't blessed. When I do that, when I try to be that, it's not helpful to anyone, okay? Starting with me, all right? And then extending to the immediate people in my life. And so, you know, if you go, man, I just, I feel like I really want to teach. Well, it's like, well, do people learn? Are they blessed? I feel like God's called me to lead. Do people follow you? Are you influence? Do you influence one peop- one person? So start to think through this. All right. Here's the encouragement about this. This is what the Bible says. As each one has received a gift, you've received a gift. Minister it. Fan the flame of that gift. Explore that grace and walk with Jesus and see what he does as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Okay, that's point number one. He has gifted each member a measure of grace. This gets even cooler. Check us out. Next, next thing that Paul says, how has he gifted the church for ministry? He's gifted his body each with a measure. You have a measure. He's also gifted the church. I want you to see this. He's gifted to the church servant leaders that have a calling to equip the saints. He's gifted the body with measures of of grace. He's also, this is what Paul says, one of the gifts he's given to the church. It says, and, so he gave gifts to each member, but the Greek here is important. A lot of debate about how to interpret this, and if there's differences, you know, welcome to a human community. Um, But... Uh, as, as I understand this, Paul says, and in addition to the gifts he's given to each member, he also himself, I love that, Jesus himself, he gave some. So the picture there is like apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. These are l- certain um, leadership gifts that I want you to notice this, that Jesus himself gives to the church. That's a, isn't that a cool way to think about pastoral ministry? And that is oftentimes far and wide than what we see in the world oftentimes. Uh, the, the idea that the goal of, of being a pastor is, is to be a gift to people. Now, I'm saying the goal of being a pastor, but that's really just one, obviously, word up there. Um, my understanding of this list that Paul gave here, he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastor teachers, is that these are leadership types in the body, servant leader types. I don't believe that these are necessarily offices. We don't have like the office of evangelists in Solace, you know. Um, the, the offices in, the New, in a New Testament church described in Scripture is that of elder and deacon, which we are, are, are on our way more towards that. But I believe these are leader types. These, you know, hopefully an eldership of a church has a good combo of these leader types. Um, but you, you don't have to be an elder and hold an office in a church to be a pastor teacher, to shepherd people and teach them. You with me? These are leader types that God gifts to the church. He gifts them to lead. Now, there's also a lot of debate around the word apostle and prophet. This can be fun, right? Talking through and thinking through this. Uh, obviously, we understand that there is a certain limited season to capital A apostles in the church. Okay? There, you know, um, it's cringy to name yourself apostle so-and-so. Don't do that. Like that's, Did I say cringy? I'm sorry. It's not kind. But it's not... It's, it's, I think it's sometimes cringy to be like, I'm Pastor Andrew. Anyway, that's just my opinion. I'm going to stop, okay? Um, why'd you say that? I don't know. Okay. Um, um, 
We know that there was first century apostles. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, we study this, that the church is founded on the apostles and the prophets. I believe these were the uniquely um, select few individuals at the early start of the church. We know that Paul himself was counted as an apostle. And these are the ones that God used to lay the foundation of the church. And, and we have their foundation today. It's called the New Testament. Amen? So these are, the apostles and the prophets are right here, okay, in a, in a capital A sense. Now, I think in this context, though, Paul, he doesn't say that. He's like, he gave some to be apostles in the first century. He doesn't say that. So I do think he's speaking to a kind of leader. And let's go through each of these, and I'll kind of under, help you understand what I mean by the different leaders that God gives to the church. I just, I andrewed the heck out of these things, and I'm sorry, Okay. But uh, it's, these are commonly referred to this leadership grid. It's called often the fivefold ministry of leadership in a church, and it's it's often like summarized as this thing called apest, which is what we really what really any church really wants in their leadership overall, spread out across the board. Um, the, the the first one a for apostle um, in the Greek ap, uh, apostolos in the in the Latin missio. I mean, an apostle that Paul says the word here literally means a missionary. That's literally what he says, a sent one. This person's the hill taker leader. We all know those leaders that are just hill takers. They're like, where's the people group that the church hasn't engaged yet? Let's go. We have to cross oceans. We have to cross language barriers. We have to cross, you know, war zones. All right? Got to take the hill for Jesus. All right? These are the, the apostles. Some of you guys have an apostolic leadership gift. And God has called you to be someone that, that is, you just seem to have your mind on the people that no one's going to. That's very special. That's an apostolic leader. Prophetic leaders are truth tellers. This is the truth teller. Um, as we see with the Old Testament prophets especially, the, the prophets are the ones where everyone is over here having this conversation. The church is over here like, ah, oh, politics, ah, oh, Calvinism, Arminianism, ah, oh, like conversation, conversation. And the prophet's like, the heart of the matter. You know what I'm saying? The prophet comes along, he's like, hey, great chat, love the convo. We're neglecting these people. Truth teller. The heart of the matter. Prophets are, are often raised up in the church to bring the people of God, listen, back to the heart of God. Can I tell you, we need your prophetic voice in our church. How, how easy it is, is it for us, especially as a church, just to get lost in churchianity? Just going along, riding the train, and God brings prophets as leaders to be like, hey, come back to the heart of God. Come back to the heart of worship. Prophets are usually uh, especially concerned with matters of justice. Look at these people that we're neglecting. Great service and all, but what about feeding the poor? Are you with me? So that's the prophet, the truth teller. But don't just take it as like a softy, okay? Prophets will tell you the truth to your face. To your face, Okay? And they'll be like, here's the thing that's from the Lord that's hard to hear, but you need to hear. All right. Then you have the evangelist. This is uh, the lost finder. This is the person that's like always bringing another person to the small group. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> They're the bringer. And it's amazing how I've seen in our church, the Lord use evangelists, those kind of leaders to, to grow our church because we're here singing Kumbaya and they're like, I, I got this friend at work that needs to come. So that's that person that's always, you're just a bringer. You're thinking about those individuals. Uh, the shepherd is the people tender. They're shepherds. And they're always thinking about how do we get people connected? How do we keep them walking together? How do we care for them? How do we make sure no one's neglected in the group? Okay, the, the people tender. And then, <laughs> might have been a stretch here, whatever. Uh, for T, for teacher, I, I'm going to call them the light switcher. The light switcher. 
okay? A teacher is not just someone with a lot of knowledge. Just because you're a professor doesn't mean that you have the calling and gifting as teacher, as described here. To be a teacher is, is, is it means that God, enable, God uses you to help people get it. Be, having the gift of teaching is not how good do you talk. That's not the gift of teaching. The gift, and some of you guys have, have counted yourself out as someone to disciple and teach people because you don't talk good. I don't talk good. I got, okay, true, if that's your sentence. But the gift of teaching is not how good you talk, it's how well people, how well people learn. You with me? So a teacher is someone who when you speak, people listen, but they also learn. They get it. The light switches on. They go, okay, all right? Now these are, listen, Paul says this is a gift that God has given to the church. God has put, le- God has put apest leaders. He gifts leaders Okay, the church doesn't exist for the pastor. The pastor exists for the church. Okay, he gifts these leaders to the people of God. I want you to notice why. Why does God gift the church these leaders? Hill takers, truth tellers, loss finders, people tenders, light switchers. Why does God gift the church these people? I want you to notice for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, I'm a shepherd teacher. I'm going to do my best right now to be a light switcher for you, okay? I feel that's how God has wired me, um, and I hope this is a light switch for you, okay? This is a significant description of what a pastor is, of what church leadership is called to do. Um, the word equip there, the job of, of the leader, it's, it's a word that it can be described, it was used in, in that culture to describe mending nets, fixing a net, readying it for fishing, or, or that of preparing a ship to go out to sea. It's an equipper. And I want you to notice that job of the pastor of equipping is the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. This is what the pastor is here to do. Um, notice in this text the pastors aren't the ones who are in ministry. Do you see this? This will change our mind. The pastor's job is not to hog the ministry. Church is not a place where we come. This is not church. This is what we've made it. This is not what it is. We don't gather at different churches to consume ministry. I know what's wrong with my life. I'm not mature because I haven't consumed enough of that Bible study. I, you know what I need? Another church service. And listen, you know what you'll do? You'll live your whole Christian life with a consumer mindset never growing up. Paul goes on to say, here's how much maturity doesn't happen as a consumer. Church is not where we gather to consume ministry. Church is where we gather to be equipped for our ministry. Do you hear that? The whole point of why we get here is because you've been graced with something and God has given us certain leaders and, and my job is to equip you to ready the ship for sale. Hopefully you leave church thinking not just, okay, that was a good meal, but you go, I'm better equipped to serve Jesus this week. Amen? I'm thinking about tomorrow. I'm thinking about what he's called me to. I'm thinking about my home life. I, that's my ministry, going home to my family. I gotta serve. This is a complete shift of perspective to understand the gift of what a pastor is. Not there to hog the ministry, you know, like going to a heat game or something. I'm all about heat game. I'm really into heat games today too, but watching the stars, you know, back in the day, how the arenas would fill when LeBron was on the team. And it's like, and, and church is not that. We, we don't come to church to watch some LeBron show off his exegetical dunking skills, okay? And say, woo, I love that church, okay? 
Like it's just pastor worship and it's self-centered. It's all about being equipped to do what we've been called to do. Amen? That was a light amen to that. That's all right. Listen, maybe you just really deeply agree. That's what it is. You more deeply agree louder than your volume. Okay, um, this is why here at Solace, like this is our discipleship pathway. And if you're coming to Welcome to Solace this Wednesday, or I should say when you come to Welcome to Solace this Wednesday, you'll hear more about this. But our vision for a disciple of Jesus at Solace is that you would be involved in these four things, sometimes progressively as you grow, but that you would be, in, this is how we follow Jesus, we gather. You cannot replace the Sunday gathering. It's valuable to the tradition of the church and God's people from the beginning, gathering around the Lord. This is what we do. We gather and center our lives around Jesus. We don't neglect that. We got to do more than gather. We got to connect. We need to find and experience community. We're called to do life together. So we also do that. We have different house groups that exist for connecting. We, we need to grow. We need people to get up in our spiritual business and, and be there to help us along the journey. We grow. But we're called to serve as well. Jesus invests in his disciples He gathers them, he connects them, he grows them, and then he sends them out to do the same for other people. You're right, you with me? So this is, or even our discipleship efforts are towards this. Like, if you've been at Solace for more than than two years, and you've gathered, and you've connected, and you've grown, how are you serving is a question. What's your ministry? How are you now helping others gather? You serve at the gathering. How are you helping others connect? You don't just go to your home group thinking, I need some more community. You go, how can I be community to someone who comes on Sunday that doesn't know anybody? You with me, okay? And we go, I'm gonna bring them. Or what about grow? How can I invest what God has invested in me into someone else? This is our vision for church. This is what we wanna be about. Okay, last point. Lastly, Jesus has gifted the church. I want you to see this. He's gifted the church. We'll close with this, with a clear vision. He's gifted us a clear vision that has the goal of maturity attached to it. This is what we're after. We're the body of Christ called to be his physical presence on the earth. How is that possible? He gifts us each with a measure of grace to serve one another, to serve the world. He gives us certain leadership types that help complete a church and equip the church to do the ministry that they're called to do. And the best news of all this, this is really big for me. Like, I can't do something without vision. Anybody else like that? Like, I got to know why I'm doing it, okay? Especially if it's hard, okay? I, and it's amazing, it's amazing how a lack of vision can affect perseverance. It's also amazing how, how having vision can cause resilience, it's amazing when you have a vision for your marriage, a vision for your family, a vision for a church in its fifth year. It's amazing what God can do. It's amazing how far we can go when we have vision. And, and the Lord knows this. And so that, this is probably the greatest gift he could have given us. It's not just the power to do things, but to see what we're working towards, to see why we're doing it. He's given us a clear vision, and that vision is the goal of maturity. Paul says that the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, the edifying of the body of the Christ exists till we all come, here's the goal, to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. It's speaking of a maturity that we all share. We're we're unified in our strong relationship with God. Notice this, that we all come to a perfect man. Not individually, but it's the goal of a church collectively, that we would grow up. There is one perfect man, the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. 
This is incredible. I want us to be all of Jesus in our community, all of him, the fullness of Jesus. Not we're this much Jesus, but the goal is that we mature into, into the body. We grow up into our body, which is Jesus. That we should no longer be children. Here's immaturity. Tossed to and fro. Carried about with every wind of doctrine. Every time the wind blows, we're sailboats and we just go along with it. By the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. That's what immaturity does. Immaturity is, is moved around with the wind, with the circumstances around us. But we're not called to be that. We're called to be those that speak the truth in love. And that we would grow up into all things into him who is the head, Jesus. I love this. We're growing up as the body into the head. This is these different ideas about maturity. From whom the whole body, I love this, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. According to, this is really important, this, this maturity in a church only happens through the effective working by which every part does its share. When we have dormant spiritual gifts, when we have consumer church mindsets, we're going to stunt our spiritual growth as a community. But when every part does their share, when everyone uses their gifts and edifies one another, it causes the growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. This is the last gift that Jesus has given us, his church, for ministry. He's given us a vision, and I'm so thankful I have a vision. Paul says, Paul says you know, we, we don't... We don't fight as those that are just beating the air. We, we don't run as someone that does, that's not trying to win the race. We have a goal. We're after something. You know, as a church community, Paul says, here's what solace is to be after. We're not just pumping out services, okay? That gets very tiring, especially when you have to set up and tear down in a middle school every Sunday. We're not just gathering in homes. We're not just doing stuff. We're, not, we're, we're pursuing a goal that Christ has called us to. That as a community of people, we would grow more into the representation of Jesus in our world. We'd mature. What a vision. When we all do our part, when we, we start to steward the grace that God's given us and minister to one another, when we don't just consume, gather, connect, grow, but we start serving, it causes the growth of the body. And I love this. We grow into Jesus. That soulless church as a whole, we would look more like Jesus. And is there a better way to describe Jesus? Like if we were to summarize Jesus, Paul's like two things, truth and love. That's Jesus. That we would grow up in truth. We'd grow up in love. We wouldn't be tossed around by every wind. We'd be founded on the truth of the gospel. We'd be rooted in what God says about me. We'd be rooted in what's true about the church but we'd also be rooted in love. We don't beat people over the head when they don't know the truth I know. We handle the truth with care. We love those around us. This is Jesus, right? The embodiment of this, the perfection of this, and this is who Jesus is making us to be. A people that are marked by his love, a people that are marked by his truth when every part does his chair, their share. Um, Get out of your chair and do your share. That was perfect. All right, this is gifted in Christ. Listen, as we close out here, I'll invite the band to come out and transition us out. Um, and really, I don't even want to say transition us out. We want to transition in to what, what is a kind of a tradition for us at the end of each gathering. 
Scripture has a lot to say about being people who don't just hear God's word, right? Like I heard it, it's like good, but we've got to, the goal is that we bring it into action, that we embody God's word in our week, in our lives. And, and so to do that, we like to create a space every Sunday where we can just let God's word marinate in our heart for a second. We don't just rush out after hearing the voice of God himself from his word. We take a, a, a moment like this to bring what God has been saying to us as a church and as us as, in, as individuals, we take a moment to bring it to the Lord. And so that's what this time is for. Uh, so where you're at, as we close this moment out, Jimmy's going to lead us in a song, and we're just going to take a moment of reflection. And maybe today, as you come before God, you, you, your, your focus needs to be about maybe these areas of, of ministry in your life that you've neglected. You're neglecting grace, and you just need to hold that before God and say, God, I want to walk in the measure of grace you've given me. Maybe for you, as you, as you go before the Lord, it's like, God, I, I want to repent. I want to repent for an approach to church that's consumer-driven. You didn't save me to be a spectator. You saved me to put me in the game, to serve you with all that you've given me. So God, I just want to come and, and change my heart before you. Maybe that's what you need to say. Maybe, maybe you need to say, Lord, um, reinvigorate my heart with passion to see soulless grow in maturity, for, for me to grow in truth and love, for you to pray that over yourself. And as you do that, here's the best news at all, uh, of all. You've received the gift of Jesus. If you are in Christ, you've put faith in Christ and what he's done for you. You have opened that free gift and he is what defines you today so you can come boldly knowing that it's all grace today you've been set free from that broken thinking from your sin and you could come to him today to receive the the grace that you need in your time of of need here if you're here today and you're like i this is all good stuff what's a christian that's a great question <laughs> what is grace grace is god's heart posture towards you as sinner someone that has turned away from him to do your own thing. The good news is that God hasn't turned away from you. He sent his son Jesus to pave the way for you to come back to him through dying on a cross, a sinless death, but taking your sin upon his shoulders. He went into the grave. He died, but ultimately he rose to defeat death. The Bible says that whoever believes in their heart the Lord Jesus confesses their mouth that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So today, if that's you, maybe take a moment to just say, God, I want to receive your gift. Whatever the case may be, let's create a space right now for us to commune with the living God.